1: We've got to get to a point in our lives where there are just some things we won't do. We talk about revival. We, we talk about the need for the church to awaken. I, I really believe that this will happen when, as Christ followers, we understand that we must stop tolerating the things that god says is intolerable
0: welcome to the barnabas effect with paul purvis senior pastor of mission hill church a multicultural multi-generational multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of jesus like a city on a hill You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
1: Someone once said that what we tolerate today, we become tomorrow. And we live in a world that is eat up with this idea of tolerance. When I was growing up, tolerance meant that uh, we hate sin, but but we love the sinner. Today, tolerance really is this idea that you have to embrace those things that you may even disagree with, those worldviews or lifestyles that are not of you. And all you have to do is, is turn on an occasional news program to see this. I, I was imagining the other day, what if Jesus were to appear on one of these programs, uh, on the evening news or the 24 7 news channel. Well, what if uh, there was an encounter where maybe a person was espousing that it really didn't matter what kind of lifestyle they lived? A, a big thing today is transgenderism and, and, and the freedom of, of homosexual marriage and the different things. And what if they were just saying, Hey, I can do what I want to do. You don't know how I live. I, I'm not even tied down to one person. And Jesus were to speak up as he did to the woman at the well and say, um, You're right. I know you're you're not tied down. You're not married to anyone right now, and you've been with a whole bunch of other people. And what if Jesus would then point that person to Him? Or, or more even startling, what if you were tuning into one of their programs and and they were to say, you know, really it doesn't matter what you believe. God's a God of love, and there's only one God, and and He's going to take care of everybody in the in the same way. And that Jesus sitting there on the, on the panel would say, hey, excuse me, I, I just need to clarify, I am the way, I am the truth, I, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I, I give you that because I think you can take that little mental journey and understand that Jesus would not have coexisted well in our age of toleration. Because Jesus clearly drew lines in the sand, literally at times, to bring the focus back. To him, to to point out that he was a dividing line in history. And and so even time today is determined by that dividing line, right? By the life, the the death of Jesus Christ. We've been studying the book of Daniel, and in the book of Daniel, we're reminded in the same way that we have to make decisions, and, and those decisions impact. Uh, our lives. Those decisions are never made in a vacuum. Those choices always have consequences. And as followers of, of Christ, we recognize that the choices we make have forever consequences. They not only influence things today, they make impact forever. And so we we've come in contact with these These guys, four young men, Daniel, and then in the Babylonian names, they were given Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is how you remember them. And here they were captive in this foreign land. They were in Babylon, but their desire was not to let Babylon get into them. It was kind of like us. They were in the world, but they were not of the world. And that really is what we are to be as followers of Christ. If you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, you are in it but you're not of it, right? And that kind of has some rhythm. So I want us to say it together. You are in it, but not of it. Say, I'm in it, but I'm not of it. Say that with me. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. Now say it like you believe it. Say, I'm in it, but I'm not of it. And that was something that these guys understood and they're teaching us this. Their story is a story of faith over fear. It's a story of courage over compromise, of understanding that sometimes my belief have so in Internalized that they become convictions and they guide what I say, what I do, and what I'm willing to tolerate. And that is very clear in the story you're going to hear today, one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. Many of you heard it as a child. Listen to it from the word of God. Daniel chapter three, beginning in verse one, about 15 years have passed since Daniel chapter two. We left Daniel and his friends. They were middle teenagers, 15, 16, 17. Now they may be 30 years old. Young men, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, its breadth six cubits, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar was making this image of himself for one purpose. He wanted everyone to acknowledge how great he was. It's really not uncommon that political leaders get kind of narcissistic. And that's true all around the world. It's true in our society. It was true of Nebuchadnezzar. So he goes outside of the city on this plain of Dura, is what we're told, this open area. And he builds the statue of himself. Modest man, right? Just wait. Nine stories tall. (laughs) Can you imagine driving downtown Tampa and right in the middle of the city part of Tampa next to one of the high rises? You see, uh, I don't know, uh, a statue of the mayor of Tampa or the president of the United States or someone that's well-known. Nine stories tall, covered in gold with one intent. Bow down to this image. Notice what takes place. Verse 4. And the herald proclaimed... You are commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, it's the orchestra, every kind of music. You're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And by the way, just a side note. Let me point out something that existed then and exists today. Often the people that are crying the loudest that you tolerate what they want you to tolerate are also unwilling to tolerate your beliefs. And that's what was taking place there. So they're going to have to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, the orchestra, every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and they worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So imagine the sight. You're outside of the city. This huge image, nine stories tall, the king has said, when you hear the music, you bow down. And so you hear the music and you've got to decide, do I bend the knee? Do I bow down? You look around and you realize pretty much everybody, they're bowing. they are fallen down. They're on their face. And so you see something that you need to understand as you walk through life, particularly in our society today. But it's been true through the ages. Most people don't live based on inner conviction. Most people change on an instant based on feelings, based on pressure, based on what they think may make them comfortable in the moment. But that's not everybody. And you're going to see that doesn't have to be you. You're living in a society that is hungry for people to take a stand, for people to say, hey, there's some things I can't tolerate. There's some things that are not just beliefs that I I believe because mama or daddy taught me, but they are inner convictions. They're tied to what I believe is the inerrant, the infallible, the never-ending word of God. And these things are going to guide my life. The world's hungry for that, just as I believe believe, Babylon needed to see that testimony from these young men. So look at verse eight. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, remember the Chaldeans in chapter two, when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, he called all the wise men and he tried to get them to interpret his dream first to tell them what he dreamed. None of them could do it. One of them was the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the scientists. They were kind of the the cream of the crop of society. Now, what you're going to see is that they were not happy. They were not happy because these Hebrew boys had come into their society. And though they had come in as hostages because of how God had favored them, King Nebuchadnezzar had raised them up. We know that from chapter one. We see that again in chapter two, but now they have their moment. Listen to what it says. The Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared the king Nebuchadnezzar. O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the triccum, the harp, the bagpipe, the orchestra, every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. King, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the fairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego; these men, O King, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, remember the context: in six hundred five BC, Nebuchadnezzar has gone to He's gone to Jerusalem. On the first trip, he just takes hostages. He takes royal children, nobility, and he brings them back to Babylon with the intent of incorporating them into his government, into their system, into indoctrinating them. Eventually, he will go back and destroy the temple. He will destroy Jerusalem. But at this point, he's just reached out and he's brought these children really in, teenagers, 14, 15, 16 years old. And he begins to indoctrinate them. But there's a turning point. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, notice what the Bible says. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Some of your translations say it like this, and I, I really like this wording. He purposed in his heart. You see, the truth is every one of us are going to come to a place where we have to decide what we believe. As parents, we have a responsibility. As grandparents, you can even be a part of this responsibility. We can teach children what we think they should believe. We can make sure they're familiar with the word of God. And then they can see it in our life that it's not marginalized, but we've prioritized it. But at the end of the day, every child has to decide what they believe. And in that moment, these teenagers look back to their childhood in Jerusalem. Jerusalem and they made a decision, and that decision shaped their destiny. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. The decision Daniel made on chapter one of this story, it would affect them for the next 70 years. You see, we make our choices, but our choices, they make us. And so here we are, maybe as many as 15 years later, and these young guys are guided by their resolve, they're guided by their convictions. You're going to have to decide at some point, if you've not already been there, you're going to have to decide, am I going to be moved if I'm going to be guided by inner principle or by outer pressure? Because you will have the things that are coming from without. It may be that you're going through a physical illness. It may be that you're going through marital strife. It may be that your job has just made you miserable. It may be that you're out of money and you've got decisions to make. And those decisions, they're going to they're deal with what you tolerate, what you're willing to do in the, get this, in the heat of the moment. And in the heat of the moment, you're going to have to decide, am I guided by these outward pressures or will I stay true to inner convictions. Matter of fact, every child that goes off to college experiences this in the in really in the first two weeks, because you've got a chance to determine who am I going to be. Nobody knows me here. I, I can be a new me, and the friends you make and the choices, the decisions where they take you in those first couple of weeks will often guide your entire college career. Are you going to be guided by these inner principles, or are you going to let the outer pressures? take control. So these young men make their decision. And the best we can figure is they're looking back to their childhood because in Exodus chapter 20 and verses four and five, they had learned the 10 commandments, just like many of us learned as children. And in verse four and five, it says, thou shalt not have other gods before me. Thou shalt not have graven images. So here they are. And King Nebuchadnezzar who had promoted them, I mean, they were in good standing with him. He says to them, you just got to bow down. And they said, no, my God says, I cannot do this. And so there's where we see the first principle that jumps off the pages of this story. And here it is. They didn't fall down. They didn't bow. They didn't give in. And every day, every one of us have to decide, will we fall down? Will we bow? Will we give in to the idols that are around us? And your idol may not be a nine-foot statue of a political leader, but there's something that is an idol that is, that is seeking your attention and, and your devotion and, and your allegiance. Remember what an idol is. An idol is anything, even a good thing, that takes the place of a main thing. So an idol may be your passions. It may be your priorities. It may be the pleasures that bring you fulfillment. Someone put it this way, our hearts are idol factories. We're always creating these idols that strive for our allegiance. And yet in our heart, we were made for a single allegiance. You understand that, right? Whether or not you've crossed the faith line, whether or not you've submitted your control of your life to Jesus Christ, you too were created for one allegiance. You were created to worship God. And so anytime you're doing... Anything other than worshiping the one true God, your life's out of kilter. It's kind of like a car that you're trying to drive, but the alignment is off. And so it's going off to a side and you're realizing this doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Because you were made to worship God. And so they did not fall down. Now, I want you to think about this because when we fall down, let me just say for me, when I fall down, I've always got an excuse. How about you? These guys, they deal with our excuses because they kind of one-up us to the ultimate. First of all, they didn't fall down in spite of peer pressure. They did not give in to peer pressure. Every one of us face peer pressures. You begin to struggle with that even as a child in a classroom. You see the group is cutting up. They're disobeying. They're being disrespectful. And as a child, even though the consequences may not seem that dire, you have to decide, am I going to give in to peer pressure? And it only gets worse. And don't think as a teenager it's never going to get worse because it just increases and it increases. And and the peer pressure just becomes, come on, everybody's doing it. And in this case, that seemed legit. (laughs) It seems like everybody bowed down to the stinking idol, except these guys, and yet they didn 't give in to peer pressure but now it 's not just that excuse they didn 't give in to fear pressure they weren 't afraid they knew the command if you don 't do this you 're going to be thrown into the furnace and I think it has to grieve the heart of God that so many of his professing children are living in fear. I just need you to know that if you're a Christ follower, God has not given you a spirit of fear. If you're living in fear, that's coming from another source. Not a good place. In fact, the Bible tells us more than 365 times. So that's more than one time a day. Do not be afraid. They didn't give in to fear pressure. Like them, we've got to get to a point in our lives where there are just some things we won't do. We talk about revival. We we talk about the need for the church to awaken. I I really believe that this will happen when as Christ followers, we understand that we must stop tolerating the things that God says is intolerable. And it it seems like, really, and it makes sense with every generation, we just embrace more and more of the things that are not of God. God. When will the church stand up and say, enough. There are some things we won't do. We won't fall down. We will not bow. Think about what the king had done. He'd already changed their names. He'd already changed their language. He, even this book of the Old Testament, it changed from chapter 1 from Hebrews From Hebrew, it changed to being written in Aramaic. He changed their language. He changed the literature. So he changed their curriculum and schooling. And and they were okay with all of those because there wasn't a biblical admonition about somebody changing your name. There wasn't a biblical admonition about somebody changing your language. There wasn't a biblical admonition against someone changing what you studied, but there was a biblical admonition about changing who you worship. And they said enough. So what happened? look at verse 13 this is where it gets good then nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that shadrach meshach and abednego be brought so they brought these men before the king and nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them uh boys is this true oh shadrach meshach abednego that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image i've set up now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and the orchestra, every kind of music, fall down and worship the image I've made well and good. You get it? You get what he's doing? It's manipulation. Guys, come on. What, a, what got into you? <laughs> don't, don't worry. When you hear the music, just bow down. But then he says, but if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Now this, I believe, was a turning point. Can you imagine? Young men, so now they're 29, 30, 31. They're standing before the king, and he's saying, guys, this is not a big deal. Everybody's doing it. Just when the music starts, just bend the knee. You can get up right after that. Go back and worship your God after that. Just, just honor me. This. Look at what I've done for you guys. And maybe I, I kind of doubt it. But maybe at that point, one of them was turning to the other and going, "Hey, you know, he's got some good points." We, uh, we can kneel on the outside, but be standing up on the inside right that's what we do when we compromise right i'll go hang out with this group of people that are partying doing things that i know are ungodly and 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 against my convictions but i know what i believe or or, hey um i i know i've kind of crossed the line here a little bit but man you got to know my heart i want to live right for god well i i don't know what they were thinking but then nebuchadnezzar went too far notice what he said who is this god who will deliver you And here's the deal, people in your little corner of the world, they're looking at you, they're looking at me when we go through our difficulties like physical illness, whether it be cancer or COVID or or some kind of sickness. They're looking at us when we have financial challenges, when our jobs are lost, when we don't know how we're going to pay the bills. They're looking at us when our marriage seems to have the same tension their marriages have and they're saying, all right, who is your God? And church, I just need you to know that's where we're failing. Because too often they're looking at us and they're saying, I don't see any difference in the way you're responding and the way I respond. So who is this God you think will deliver you?
0: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhill.org. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.